0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. My name is Gabe Phillips if we have not met. And no, I am not Prince Harry. I know some of you are looking, going, How did he get here so quickly? But I'm not Prince Harry, but I am married to the Duchess of Sunningdale. Um, who needs the Duchess of Surrey when you've got the Queen of Cape Town? But anyway, come on. Huh? I am Gabe Phillips. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm married to Fiona, um, who I call my queen, and our little princess, Olivia Grace. It's, it's the royal weekend. Why not? I'd stick with the theme. But just to let you know, we are if you're visiting with us today or you've missed a couple weeks, we're in our final week of a three-part series. We'll be looking at the heart of Luke chapter 15. And this is a quite a famous uh, passage of Scripture in Christendom. If you're unfamiliar, don't worry. I'll help us walk through it quickly now. But it's actually the whole essence of it is Jesus is defending the why of his ministry, why he does what he does. And we believe this is so important for us to get into our hearts because so often the church looks very different to what Jesus came to do. And we're saying we want to align our whole mission, our mandate, what we think church is supposed to be about around what Jesus thought was important. I think that sounds cool. I think that's a a good thing to stick with. Thank you, Aiden, and thank you for that nod, Dave low at the back. I appreciate that. But it's really, really good to be together. Just to give you some context of the Scripture. The Scripture launches in Luke chapter 15 by telling us that there are three distinct groups of people surrounding Jesus. We've got here in the left corner, weighing in at, uh, no, I don't know how much they weighed, but uh, in the left corner were a whole bunch of people called the tax collectors, and they were despised. By, they were Jewish uh, of origin, but these were people who, were, who had sold out and had given themselves, aligned themselves with the Roman government, were taxing their own people and making salaries for themselves by overtaxing them and skimming off the top. So they were aligning with the, the foreign empire who had come and abused the freedoms of the Jewish people, and they were aligning with them and selling out their brothers and sisters. People despised these tax collectors. And yet, we found these tax collectors here surrounding Jesus the tax collectors were rich they made their money in illegal extortionist ways so much so that when the if, you, if a tax collector brought their money to church to the synagogues the synagogues wouldn't let them tithe you know you're dodgy oh when the church is refusing your money that's just an inside joke no thank you second group of people though the bible tells us to separate them. there's tax collectors they're also sinners Now, there was your despised tax collectors. Then there were just your outcast, run-of-the-mill sinners. Those who had just given themselves over to their passions. They're actually okay. They're like, yeah, you know what? I'm a dodgy guy. You can call me a sinner. There were were these guys who were okay with that tag. They're like, but they said, just don't call us tax collectors. Like, we're dodgy, but not as bad as those guys. So there's tax collectors and sinners, the despised the outcasts, and then on the far right-hand side is another group of people who seem to come around this this conversation, who are leaning in, and this was the so-called in-crowd, the Pharisees and the religious teachers of the law, those who decided who was in and who was out, those who who sort of had their pedigree up front to saying, we are the in-crowd. These are the people who surrounded Jesus. Two groups of them gathered and ate, and one group of them questioned and were filled with hate. That rhymed intentionally. Two gathered and ate and, and engaged with Jesus. And the other ones actually came, were lent in with questions and saying, why does he hang out with them? Does he condone what they are doing? Who is this man, Jesus? He's supposed to be a rabbi. Why is he hanging out with those who are despised and are outcasts? What is Jesus up to? And that's where we stumble upon Luke 15, the rest of it, is Jesus saying, my defense of what I do. Jesus doesn't get up and go all uh, legalistic on them and start telling them, some quoting some scriptures and thou shalt. No, no, Jesus leans in in the masterful way. He leans and says, I want to tell you three stories. And very quickly, for those who are unfamiliar, the first story is a man, he says there was a man who had a hundred sheep and one went astray. And he says, "This, this shepherd left the 99 to go after the one. It doesn't make sense. It, was, it is crazy. He left the 99 sheep to go after the one that had gone astray, that had wandered off, that got itself into trouble far over there. This shepherd went and pursued that one. What Jesus was doing with this story of the 99 for the one is he was basically leaning into these three groups of people and saying, you think you're too far? You think you're too far gone? You think you've strayed too far? My grace goes further. My grace will always pursue you to the ends. Then he goes on to the next story. He said, there's a second, there's a second story. A woman had 10 coins and, and these coins were not something frivolous or small. These coins represented her dollar. were large. It was a large amount of money. And he said, this woman, she lost one. And she, this lost coin, she didn't go, oh, well, at least I've got nine. She gave up everything to search for the one. She upturned over her house. She pushed the couches out the way. She got down all falls and looked, uh, looked underneath the bed and went behind the cupboard and tried to find out where is this lost coin? And Jesus, what he's trying to do with this story is he's leaning and saying, you think you're lost? Well, you might be lost, but it doesn't mean you've lost your value. A coin, even if it's not in your property, doesn't mean it's worth anything less. It's just not with you right now. So Jesus is emphasizing these points. He gets to the third story, a well-known story, where he says there was the prodigal son. And he said this prodigal son, which we walked through last week, was a son who came. He got his inheritance early. He said to his dad, I wish you were dead. I want to live as if you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. So the father gave him the inheritance. And the boy went to a far, far place. And it's, the Bible tells him he wasted his money on lavish living. He just spent this inheritance that was supposed to be stored up for a future day to help possibly look after his kids in the future with university fees, with a house deposit, uh, an inheritance that should set him up for the future. He wasted in a matter of one, two, three weeks. He blew it all. And they all Jesus is telling these stories. Now I bet Jesus in this moment, his emphasis was probably to say, you think you've wasted your inheritance? You think you've wasted opportunities? You think you've wasted things in the past? I can restore whatever you wasted. Jesus is leaning into these stories to tell them a point. But then this is what I want to get at this morning, is the whole drama comes to a head. It comes down on the fourth story. It's actually tucked in with the third but often it's so ignored that actually, but, the, but Jesus is actually driving at something. He says, this fourth story deserves its own moment. Because it's actually the main event of what he's trying to do. You see, Jesus, the, the scripture of the story of the prodigal son starts off in this way, but it's often forgotten or, or rejected or just pushed aside to the side. It starts off this way. It says, the father had two sons. And yet the story's called the prodigal son. But there was a second son. The older son, the older brother, the younger son went away. He went astray. The older brother stayed at home. And I can imagine the older brother initially kept tabs on his younger brother, and going, oh, oh, how, dare, how dare he waste dad's money like that. He followed him on Instagram. And he saw all the dodgy pictures his brother put up. And after a while, he said, I can't even follow. I can't even see this anymore. So he unfollowed his brother. And, and he just, he's like, I can't do it. And he just, and resentment built up in his heart as he said, I'm having to work. I'm having to do double the work because that punk has gone. He's left me with all the work to do and he's wasting. How dare he take our name into the world like that and trash mom and dad's name. And the more and more he worked, the more and more frustrated and angry he got. And we stumble upon his story today. Now, before we get into it, uh, a friend of mine, a pastor friend had the privilege of doing the Sharks rugby team uh, devotionals for a while. He would go and he would, weekly he would go and meet with the Sharks rugby team and he would teach them from the Bible. And a whole bunch of them would come who had come from a Christian background. And there were a couple of them who had come from quite a formal Christian background and, uh, and they would come and listen. And this man told this story of the prodigal and the older brother. And as he explained that there was one who wasted inheritance and then there was one that tried to earn it, but both were falling short at the question and answer time, true story. One of the shark's rugby players kept putting his head up and saying, I like that story, but isn't it better to, it's, it's good to be the, the better son, the good son. And the guy, the preacher kept on reminding him, saying, no, no, this not, it's not the bad son and the better son, it's the younger son and the older son. But he could not get part, no, no, but there's the good son. Because he could not get his head out of this thing that actually, the father, the whole point of the story, whether there was the prodigal, wasteful son, or the son who stayed at home to try and earn the father's approval, the father, Jesus, trying to remind the people that that you are sons and daughters by birth, not by worth. Whether you've given up or whether you're trying to earn it, either or does not disqualify or qualify you. It's the father saying who you are. And that's what the Jesus is trying to do in this story. So I'm going to ask us, we're going to read this, these last seven verses, the fourth story that's tucked in with the prodigal. So if you're comfortable, could you stand with me? We want to read some scripture this morning. I'll pray, I'll make a couple of points, and then we'll have coffee together. It's really good to be together this morning. Really exciting to do church together. This is the scripture on an interesting size screen. Luke 15, verse 25 to 32. It starts off like this. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the fields working... When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father's killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of a safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. The message translation says he sulked and stalked about. Just love it. He sulked and stalked about. His father came out and begged him. The other translations said, begged, implored, uh, pleaded. This wasn't a, 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 a father who's holding something back. He's saying, please come in. But the older brother replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Would you, do, would you allow your word to go into the deepest place of, places of all our hearts? I thank you, Father God, that your word would accomplish everything it sets out to do here today. Whether we feel we are far or whether we feel we are near. Whether we feel we are bad or whether we feel we are good. I pray, Father God, your word would come in like a sword and pierce between our opinions and our thoughts. And bring truth and clarity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen. Why don't you take a seat? Thank you so much. We stand just so to engage with the Word of God. It's not my job to preach. It's our job to receive from the Word together. I think Jesus in these stories, just before we get into the nitty-gritty this morning, He's saying this. He's basically saying with the story of the 99 and leaving them for the one, for the, the lost coin and the prodigal, He's saying, I have chased you down. I've looked for you. I've even given my life for you. And then the fourth story is saying, will you do the same for others? Will you carry my heart? This morning, I want to give us two ways. You know, it's a good preach when I'm minusing one from the three points. Two points. Two points this morning on how to carry his heart, the Father's heart. The first point will be on the screen behind me is this. For you and I to carry his heart, we need to learn to connect before we correct. Connect before we correct. Another way we've been saying this throughout the series is we've been praying that we'll become the sort of church where people can belong before they have to believe that they would walk into an embrace before they walk into an outstretched finger. That, that that would be the type of church we are. The older brother in this story could not reconcile this. He could not reconcile this truth It frustrated him, it angered him, because he was saying, and, and I think my mindset also leans this way from time to time as I read the story and as I look at my own life, unfortunately, often, this brother looked at the other brother and getting all this, what seemed like unfair welcome, unfair treatment. Surely he should, he should, he should, he's back. But yeah, give him some a time out, give him some halfway house treatment, put him in the servants' quarters because I, I think daddy's going to do it again. The older brother basically was saying, he must earn his way back, dad. It's too easy for him. It's too easy. But you see, in this story, when, when, and, and when we say these things like it's, we want people to be able to belong before they believe, don't mishear what I'm not saying here. Jesus, in these three stories, was not going soft on sin. If you read all three stories, all three stories had this word in it, repentance. But each time it was mentioned repentance, which means turning and returning back to God, repentance was very quickly followed by God's response to repentance, a God who rejoices and celebrates. Not a God who's there with a the ruler saying, how genuine is that repentance? And let me measure how long, no, no, no. It's not a God who's an accountant, but a God who's celebrating with lavish joy at a son or daughter who repents and comes home. This is not a Jesus getting on soft on sin, because actually we know at the end of the story, Jesus is so serious about sin that he died for it. This is not a God who's lukewarm on sin, But actually, what he's saying is he's telling these three stories at the heart of the brother, trying to put his heart inside of this older brother. And the older brother, who's like me, and I, I would imagine like you as well, I don't know if you noticed that. The older brother, when he's trying to convince his dad to come down more harshly, he's saying these words, Your son, not my brother. Very quickly, he disassociates with them, says, your son did this, your son. And, and many of us will know that sort of thing when in parenting. Your daughter, your daughter put in a nappy again. My daughter's always good. You know, you know, it gets so funny in these sort of ways. We do these sort of things. But we find that the father in both conversations, as like I said earlier, he come, never comes with a finger in the chest jabbing, where have you been, what have you got done? In every story, the father comes with a big embrace to say, welcome home. You see in the story, I love how the father convincing the oldest son, the oldest son is trying to slave and work. He said, son, don't you get it? You've always had my favor. The problem is we always operate from a currency that we are having to earn his favor. When we, we realize that actually this is not snakes and ladders start at the bottom. This is a father who from the very beginning puts us and seats us in heavenly places with him. This is the reality of the gospel there's a text in in Matthew chapter 5 which I love and it's quite well used but forgive me if you if you don't know it is Jesus preaching at the beginning of the sermon on the mount and he is talking to us talking to people who have placed their trust in Jesus and he says these words firstly he says you are the salt of the earth firstly just to let you know he says you are the tense there the Greek tense is present continuous continuous there's no, there's no language of his our past reality, but he's saying from now you are and you will ongoingly become more the salt of the earth. Present continuous, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus is preoccupied with who you are and who you're becoming, not where you've been. This is the essence of the gospel. This is who he's preoccupied. He's not looking over his shoulder. He is for the joy set before him he endured the cross, and he's still with his eyes forward. Let me tell you, I love that scripture says, you are the salt of the earth. Very quickly, salt can be used for many things. Flavoring, and I've heard preachers use that, and that's wonderful. Flavor, they say preserving, you know, it's it's a wonderful thing. But but sometimes we don't understand in those days that salt was also had a, a third purpose, and that big purpose was used to disinfect. So when there was on the trash heaps of the day uh, where they would go and they would empty out all the rubbish, the carcasses, all the things that were rotting. They would come with a whole bunch of salt and pour it over that waste and refuse so they would disinfect it from polluting people, from making things sick. So salt was used by throwing it, forgive my French, on the crap of the day. That's not French. French would have been crepe. (laughs) I apologize. I apologize. But but to understand this, that it was thrown on the rubbish, the broken, the the, the the things that were not not attractive, that no one would go and say, we want to go holiday by that place. No, no, we want to stay clear on the place. And salt was thrown onto that thing to make it accessible again. And Jesus comes and says to that audience, you are the salt of the earth. This is not like something salt of the earth guy. No, 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 this was saying, do you know where you're supposed to be if you carry on reading the rest of the context of Scripture? You're saying, you are... Now, continuous, are the people who are going to be up against the brokenness of society. You are the people who are going to be up against the crud of society. Let me explain it this way in, in, in anecdotal form. I had, uh, I've got two neighbors. And, uh, well, I've got you know, one on the left, one on the right. And uh, the ones on the right of us, uh, two Italian men lived there. And they were friends for many years who fought and fought and fought and fought. And in the true Italian style, they, when they were fighting or when they were celebrating a, a soccer win, you couldn't tell the difference. It was loud. It was angry. I didn't know what was going. Pasta was being thrown over the wall. That's an exaggeration. I like. But it was that type of wild thing. And it was like, yeah, we've got a kid here. Can they keep it down a little bit? You, know, little, you get a little bit nervous. And uh, in this journey, I, I ended up um, connecting. You know, it starts off with neighbors, you know, that, that way, that awkward wave when you both drive out at the same time. Oh, Hello. Look the other way. No, you go. No, you go. And that, a friendship started that way. And over a couple of things, I ended up meeting one of them, uh, a guy, Adriano. And this man, we became friends. And, uh, and they were loud. And at first, you know, I thought in the first conversations, I would love to just to tell them, hey, can you just keep it down at night a little bit, guys? Come on. Tone that Italian f- flavor down. But, I, but I, was like, I thought, no, no, it's a bit, I'm not going to go with that. And I actually started to befriend this guy. And we realized we had a lot more in common than we thought. Soccer, sport, golf, yeah, basically sport. And, uh, and, and we love pasta. And uh, we would chat a lot. And, and, and through this thing, he would always would complain about his painful shoulder. And, uh, and, and, I, and I remember for the first time saying to him, hey, could I pray for your shoulder? And he said, yes, please. And I said, can I pray now? He was like, no, thanks. You pray over your wall. Thank you. That's weird. Come on. So I'm like, oh, okay. That is cool. I respect that. And, and we built this friendship. And I remember the courage came where I said, actually, this guy, he, he would really, I think church would be amazing. Because I'd look around, I know there's amazing people here that I'd love him to meet. And I believe that actually if he came and just started to belong here, God would take him on a journey. And uh, I remember inviting him a couple times to, to things, and, and it was those awkward moments, you know. And he was, ah, yeah. Eventually, I, I said to him, hey, I'd love you to come to one of our Easter services last year. And it had an Easter egg on it to invite you. And know, it always gets people in. And, um, and, uh, and as I gave it to him, I, he said, no, ah, no, I'll think about it. And I said, I've got a second one. Why don't you give it to your mate, David? And he said, no, 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 no. He said, I'm, I'm a Christian. oh, he's an effing atheist which I really enjoyed, his uh, hermeneutic on that situation. Um, and I nodded. I was like, oh, that sounds good. Thank you, thank you. And, and I realized he didn't realize, you know, he was measuring still on this moralistic, I'm better than him thing. But actually this amazing story is this guy entered the church and he sat at the back and, uh, and, we, and God, God started to do things. He cried all the way through the services. He was so unreligious in his nature that he would send me messages afterwards saying, your speech was great. Great, thank you. And he said, and church was magical. And I just thought, I haven't heard those words used to describe a church. But I loved it. I was like, I love this. And actually, the weeks went on, and I remember seeing on one Sunday him standing there. Will hand go up and God start to do something. And I remember him come, saying, come, come into my life. Come after a few weeks later. And he starts saying, I've bought Bibles. And he started to explain what God has done for him. And I could hear a man's language start to change, not out of somebody correcting his loudness, correcting his swearing, correcting his. No, no, no. I'd have seen a dead man come alive. This man now, after a while, he's moved to a minus. He listens to our sermons every week. So hello, Adriano. But uh, God has done an incredible work in this man that no one could have done if they went in with a crooked finger. But a father coming with an embrace turns this on his head. Let me tell you under this, just to remind us that our job is not to, we're not a moralistic behavior system. Our job is here to see the dead raised to life. And only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. So if you're thinking my job is to correct and be the moral police, let me take that off you. Because we cannot, we can, all we're then doing is straightening the lines as people march to hell. I'm not interested in if they march to hell with good behavior. I want to see dead people come alive. And that's what you and I have to do when we start to understand the Father's heart is connect before we correct. Swap the finger for an embrace. Second point to carry the Father's heart, and this is a really deep one: it's wake up! You see, it's too easy, I believe, for me, Uh, maybe this is just my problem, but I think it's too easy to get caught up in the monotony and everyday humdrum. Hashtag another day, another struggle. You know that type of just get up at 6 a.m. and we get going with the routine, we get going with the day, another gym session, another bill to pay, another nappy to change, pack the dishwasher, unpack the dishwasher, pack the dishwasher, unpack the dishwasher. It seems like it happens every day. And we get into the same cycles, we get into the same rhythms, and, which is, and I've got nothing against routine and rhythm, I think it's great, but sometimes we get so suckered into it, and we start, we start uh, limiting what God is trying to do in us, we start getting sucked into a slow stupor that we just think this is what it's all about. I've said it already, that we are not in the behavior modification business. Uh, Reinhold Bonke, one of my heroes Uh, He says this thing. He says, actually, when he prays that every Christian will understand that they are participating in the plundering of hell and the populating of heaven. I love that. That gets me going. Now now it's not that awkward. Hey, what do you believe? I'm a Christian. Now it's like, hey, 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 hey. No, no, no. Don't tick me on a census. Don't tick me Christian in a small box. Actually, I'm participating in the plundering of hell and the populating of heaven. When we start to wake up to this reality, the light and the struggles that we face, another day, another struggle start to take on a new light. Let me say it this way, in that Matthew 5 scripture, the first part, you are the salt of the earth. The second part goes on and says, you are present continuous. You are now, no, but I haven't worked hard enough. No, no, Jesus has declared that You are now and you are further becoming the light of the world. He says the light of the world. And I love lights because you know what they do? They're an opportunity for people to see. The stuff was there already. The Father was always seeking them. Jesus was always present in their their brokenness. He was still pursuing them. But when the light walks and we turn it on and people can see it, He's always been there. He's always been pursuing me. Here's the thing. When Jesus said these sort of words to the early church, you are the soul of the earth that is not made for on the side, holy huddle singing Kumbaya till I come again. No, no, you are the salt of the earth that's supposed to be up against the brokenness of society, up against the muck, up against the hurting. You are, that's who you are, the salt, and you are the light. You're a city on the hill that cannot be hidden. Take off the cover. Stop trying to do it. Jesus was saying you were not made for monasteries. Now, if you want to go live in a monastery, good for you. But actually, Jesus' mandate was out of the shadows and into the, into the brokenness. Not hide from, not pull away from, but engage with the darkness. I I, I don't know about you. It doesn't say you are the light of the church. It says light of the world. Light of the world. Not, hey, I'm going to shine and spruce myself up for Sundays. Hey, everybody. Bless you, brother. Bless you. But then Monday to Friday, keep your head down, keep your head down. Don't look them in the eye. Don't look them in the eye. No, no, no. We were made... To be the light of the world and lights. Now this is really, really deep here. Lights work when there is darkness. You don't switch it all on the lights on in the day. Wow, that's made a difference. No, no, when it's dark, that's when we're made to shine brighter. So maybe ma'am, sir, you're saying my work is filled with so many unchristians. Yes! I need to go work in a Christian business. No! You are the light of the world. He's put you there for a reason. All my relatives don't serve the Lord. Can I tell you, you are the light of your family. You are the salt. Don't shy away. Don't pull back from now. And what am I saying? Is it good not to have Christian friends? Yes, I'm not, not throwing that out. Yes, we need community around us to hold us. That's why we gather on Sundays. That's why we gather in life groups, to remind each other, this is who you are. You are you don't now go get corrupted. You are still, you are shy, you're distinctive. You're the salt, you're different. You're the light, you're different. But you are engaging. Here's the understanding for you and I. We are made for offensive living. The uh, other day, we are the weird family that still uses DVDs. Yep, we go and we rent DVDs most most weeks. Netflix, I don't know what that is. I really don't know. Um, so if you're into streaming and all that's good for you. Um, but we still uh, are supporting the local businesses of DVD stores. And uh, we've got a video Don around the corner. And uh, we we're watching the series and we got to the end of season five and, and season six. We were so excited. We got there. We we're going to get four episodes. And, and we drove there and I walked in and I said to the guy, and believe it or not, it was Don himself of the video Don. I'm like, Don! I took a selfie. Hey, the Don of video Don. It's amazing. And I said, hey, I want season six, episode one to four. Clicks on the thing, goes... Problem, it's out at the moment. And I'm like, Oh Don, make us a plan, buddy. Your name's on this thing, surely. And he says, You know what? This woman actually she's had it for seven days. I bet she's forgotten she's got it, and defines it she said, No, I'll phone her and I'll get it here for you. I'm like, Don, it's pays, it's not where you go, it's who you know. So Don picks up the phone, calls this lady, she says, I'm so sorry, thank you for reminding me, I'll be there in twenty minutes. He said, What do you want to do? I'm like, season six, I'm gonna wait. But it's a bit weird, you know, we're not going to mill around the DVD store, so I went, I thought I'd do something that's not weird, sit in the car, and watch the DVD store until the woman came. <laughs> not weird at all. No, I just pushed, sunk down in the seat, you know, put the dark glasses on, just watching, I said, no, one's going to think I'm creepy at all, yeah. And it was, it was a hilarious moment, so as I watched, and I, I saw somebody come past, I'm like, is that, no, no, it's not them, they're going to, to Woolworths, so okay. And you see someone going, were they holding a DVD? Were they holding a DVD? No, they went on empty handed. Okay, not them, not them. And it was this this bizarre encounter until after 20 minutes, I saw a woman looking in, harried, running in with two DVDs. I'm like, that's the one, that's the one. Got the door, give her a little bit of money, give her some time, give her some time. And as she she walked out, so I walked in, hello, Don, got them. And he was like, yo, you're a strange man. Like, yep. (laughs) I've been told many things before, and strange is one of them. But. You know what I realized in that moment? I, was, I had so trained my eyes to spot the woman with the two DVDs because I was so desperate to get some D- that series into me that evening. And I actually was like going, how often are we sleeping with people walking by us day after day with our eyes untrained because our eyes are focused on the monotony, the boring, when God is saying, will you participate with the plundering of hell and populating with heaven? You can train your eyes to spot a woman with two DVDs, but you can't look for the hurting and the broken to engage with. Here's the, the funny thing about that story, is that I've actually become quite good friends with Don over that. He remembers me now. He's like, you're that strange dude. I'm like, I am Don. That's me. And every time I walk past, I look, is Don in? And I go, Don. And, and I see him, and, and and I start to chat with him. And the other day, after many visits, then we chat, chat. They're always long. He's like, we just get the DVD and let's go. I'm like, Don, my mate. You never know when you need Don on your side. And I changed to Don, and, and he said to me, hey, what do you do for a living? And I was like, oh, I hate that question, because now here we go. So I go, Don, I'm actually a pastor. And he's like, no way. Because the other guy walking, working at the other shop, I promise you, the other guy said, there's not a pastor. No way. No, 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 no. like, yeah, sorry. Uh, they let anyone do it these days. <laughs> the amazing thing is we start having this conversation. I said, Don, I think you'd love our church. Nah, no, no, church is not for me, man. No, no, if I walk in, <laughs> light, lightning bolt, door, I'm done. So I'm, like, so I'm like, Don, you know what? There are people, there are more dodgy people in the front row than you. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Lord. Bless them, Lord. But I said, Don, actually, I believe that our church is a place that you love, man. I mean, look at me. I'm the pastor. And he's like, you know, you're right. Uh, he said, maybe I'll, maybe I'll come check it out. And I, and I started to, as I left, I was going, God, you know, I've been walking into that DVD shop for so long, and there's a man who's desperate to know you. And I go, and I've just been walking in going, hey, do you have season six? And nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying, actually, am I starting to wake up to what God is actually doing? That actually, maybe I don't have Netflix for a reason. Now, maybe I'm going to put off the, the faster fiber for a while, just so I can say, I can see Don come to the Lord, like Adriano. Actually, a man you will say, no, 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 that's not for me. I, honestly, I, I'm praying that one day you'll, a man will walk in and you'll hear, hey, my name's Don. And you guys will go, Don! we even been for you. You're like, you guys are weird. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. Just give them a coffee. But you know what? I tell this thing that we are, I think this is who we are, community on mission, a community that saying we, we're saying we're going to connect before we correct, a community that starts to wake up to actually that this is not just the humdrum, that God has got us where we are for a reason. I hate my work, you might say. God's saying you are the, the salt, you are the light. Connect. Wake up. I'm doing something. Maybe there's a job change coming. Yes, maybe. But but actually, as long as I'm here, I'm going to make the most of what God's doing here. I told the story and I love it. I keep telling it. There's a story of the the ship called the Titanic. and the Titanic was a true story. It didn't just come to light in Steven Spielberg's imagination. True story. And the, the Titanic was. Uh, we know the story how it crashed on the iceberg and and everyone on board drowned except Rose. Apparently. According to the movie. But here's the thing: that actually his history tells us that there was a second boat just that uh, was within, within, dis- within uh, rescue distance of the Titanic that night called the Californian. You can go Wikipedia this afterwards. But the amazing thing was that Californian had enough space on its boats and capacity on its lifeboats for every man, woman, and child who were on the Titanic. And what happened that night is they were going in the opposite direction. The Titanic sent up distressful signals as it was going and plunging into icy depths. And as I was going down, the man on board ran, the, the captain on board uh, the day, the, the, the first sergeant ran to the captain who was sleeping below deck on the, on, on the Californian and woke him up and said, sir, 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 distress signals over yonder. And the captain asked him and said, how far apart are they? And he said, they're 10 minutes apart. The captain turned over and said, wake me up when they're five minutes apart. So the, the man ran back on board as the captain slumbered, Titanic still going, the lights going out, the guy's still playing on the, I'm just going on the movie now, um, and what happened was, as the distress signal started to go more and more, as the, as the ship was going down, the, the, first, the first mate on board went to, Captain, Captain, they're now five minutes apart. And the captain, true story, turned around and said, what color are they? And he said, they are white. He says, they are not of our company. They are not our problem. And moved on. And I, I read that, I hear that story, and I go, terrible story, and yet Pierces my older brother type heart because actually too many Christians are moving on with life and are sleeping and asking silly questions and are asking small preposterous questions. Hey, no, no, thanks, no time, too busy. When actually people are dying. And we are supposed to wake up to, wake up. You know, Ephesians 5, there's a Paul, I love it. He's writing not to unbelievers, not to people far off. He's writing to the church and he writes a scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. He says this, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. For me, it's like an alarm clock to the soul as Paul wakes me up dramatically saying, wake up, video dawn, don't just go past, just don't just go past, Adriano. Wake up. They're people that no one else will reach if we don't connect, if we don't wake up. Here's the thing as I land this morning. Maybe can I call the band up at this time? I want to say maybe what are some of the reasons we don't connect, the reasons we don't wake up, the reason we don't do this? I'll offer a few quickly. Maybe prejudice in your heart. Maybe they're in, they're out. Maybe, like the Pharisees saying, actually, no, they're too far gone. Or maybe they're too different. Or maybe, hey, that's not, my, that's not my strength. I'm not good at that. Prejudice. Maybe it's preference. Comfort levels. It just demands too much of me. Actually, I, I, I'm not really good at that. Or maybe it's even pain. Maybe you've done it before and it didn't go well. I would like to mention that I believe the biggest reason we don't, actually, when we scratch at the surface, is Priority. It's not priority in our lives. You see, let me say it this way. If you're wanting to know why you and I are here as Christ followers, if you're a Christian here today, the main reason you are here on earth still and not worshiping Jesus in heaven, let me tell you, it would be better to be in heaven. No sickness, no disease, no recession, no pain. Actually, give you a, it'll be much easier. For, as you respond to Jesus, Jesus, go, thank goodness, whoop, heaven. Easier for all of us. We don't have to worship with faith. We just worship Him because He's there. Wow, can you imagine that worship? Bethel's got nothing on that, to tell you. I'm d- the reason we're not there yet is for this reason. You can't worship as well here as you would there. You can't, you can't engage, you can't preach the Word because He is the Word. If you're there, you get to see the Word, the living Word. Everything will be better there except this one thing. Here is our only opportunity to reach those far from Him. The only reason, the big, the main thing, the main point. You see, so often I wrote this down that we do a lot of things, but we miss the main point. That's what the older brother was doing. I've done all these things for you, Father. He said, Dad, I've worked. I've slaved for you. I've done all these things. Look at the barns. Look at the cattle. Look at the farm. It's running well. Profits up. I've done all these things for you. And the dad said, you've missed the main point. He was dead. He's now alive. That's why we exist Years ago, my family, we lived in Harare and we used to come to, on holidays to Durban. And uh, I remember those holidays were so excited. We were so charged with passion to go to South Africa. And uh, I remember this one occasion, we packed the car up early. My mom had prepped the putt course for the journey, you know, all the little boiled eggs, wrapped in tin foil and all those things and plotted when we'll have them. We're so excited. We're filled with petrol. We checked the oil. Then the journey began. We played every version of ice fire you could think of. We were so prepped for this trip. We get to the border, so excited. We hand the passport in, and the woman opens up and says, "Where is your visa?" (laughs) And we're like, "You're joking." We handed those in; they'd give them back, but they hadn't put our visas in. So, guess what? (laughs) Turned around, back home. We'd done everything right, but missed the main point. We'd done everything right for the journey, but we'd missed the one thing that would guarantee us a future a, a a walking further. Here's the understanding for you and I this morning. Is that Jesus is here and he's saying, I have chased you. I have searched for you. I gave my life for you. Will you carry my heart? Will you carry my heart? I'm going to ask us in this moment if we can close our eyes. tell this last story i was told last week and i feel tell it again a friend of ours he had a story they had five kids and he went to the walmart in america with these five kids and uh, they were shopping and going down this massive aisle upon aisle upon aisle trying to go through the list that his wife had given him and as he was looking as he was looking for all these items he turned back after a while notes that there weren't five kids anymore there was just four kids he turns to him and says guys have you seen joseph i don't know he was with you no he was with you he was with... no we haven't seen joseph to so mild irritation he walks up and down some of the, the aisles closest can't see joseph 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 joe Flip, where's joseph man so he goes and he's a bit irritated he goes and stops the the store superintendent who was there on duty hey have you, have you have you seen my son he's about yay high looks like me no 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 haven't seen a kid around here for a while so now the mild irritation starts to move to panic We've to fear that only a parent who's lost a kid for a while will under, be able to understand. As he starts to panic, he's saying, where the heck is Joseph? So he takes the four kids, he puts them in one side, says, you guys stay here. And then he start, breaks out into an all-out sprint up and down aisles, screaming, Joseph! Joseph! Running up and down, everyone he sees. Have you seen Joseph? Have you seen my boy Joseph? As panic grips him, as the scenarios start to play, where is Joseph? And eventually, they locate Joseph in a back room. He had wandered off, and he was, as kids do, was playing with a little box and a stick or something, and it just got distracted. But they found him, and they were able to bring him back to the family. There's a guy who told this story. He said, never at any moment did he think, you know what? Four out of five is okay. 80%. Let me go home. The wife, I'll tell the wife, we've got, you know, we've got four. And you were a bit irritated with that fifth one anyway. So you know, no no, he said at no moment did he did he in that moment undervalue the other four? No. But he says when something is lost, when one of your kids is lost, you'll give everything to find that kid. Let me tell you, that's the heart of the father, and that's the heart that is supposed to be in you and I. That we will do anything short of sin to find that which is lost. We're going to connect before we correct. We're going to be a people who wake up to the reality of what God has got us on.